You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema. TMC listeners, this is Rupert, back with a, uh, another interview. Um, this one today is with Mr. Matt Lynch. He is an employee at the legendary Scarecrow Video in Seattle, um, easily the greatest video store known to mankind, and certainly, the, the, yeah, it's it's just an amazing place that I really want to visit um, at some point. Um, so I had a nice conversation with him uh, about all kinds of movies, um, about his podcast, the Scarecrow Video Podcast, which I like very much. Um, and uh, he, um, he's he got great taste. He recommends a lot of good movies in here um, that I need to check out myself even. He did a great list for my blog of his favorite discoveries of 2011, which I recommend you check out if you have time. Uh, anyway, um, just a great conversation. I will apologize up front for the audio quality. It's a little spotty, and that was my fault. Uh, my internet had some slight issues. It was running a little slow throughout the course of the interview, so he kind of dips in and out a little bit. Um, so I apologize up front for that. Hopefully um, you find the interview still uh, listenable. I think there's a lot of good stuff there, and I hope you all enjoy. So, Mr. Matt Lynch, how did you start uh, first working at Scarecrow? Uh, well, I started working at Scarecrow, I guess. Uh, I was living in Philadelphia with a girlfriend who had a sister who lived out here. I was working at a bookstore, a Borders, and uh, that wasn't a whole lot of work. So I would often – of my part of my job was to do all the inventory stuff, so I would mostly just hang out in the back room and read magazines and stuff. And, uh, and I don't remember what magazine it was. This must have been in like 1999, 2000, something like that, seeing an, a magazine article about Scarecrow Video, and it had a big photo of the store in it. And it, you know, it looked enormous. I'd never seen anything like it. And so I thought, it's cool. i gotta go, I got to go check that place out. And uh, – so me and my girlfriend at the time, we came out here to visit her sister, and I went to visit Scarecrow Video. And, of course, I fell in love with the place right away because uh, you, you can't not. I'm, dude, I cannot tell you how much I want to see the place. I'm so – It's awesome. I, I, I mean I, it's like it's falling apart. It's real dusty and dirty. Uh, but, uh, oh, my God, it's basically like being in a, in a, in a fucking wine cellar full of movies. <laughs> you know like, that my, my brain would just be leaking out of my ears. I just it's would... a rat. Like, you've seen those I Love video things on YouTube? Yeah. Their store is gorgeous. We don't have that problem. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. So, so yeah, so you saw the anyway, place, yeah, you fell in love. Place. I, was, I thought it was awesome. I came to visit Seattle. I came to the store. I thought it was awesome. Obviously, I loved it. Uh, and uh, I was not happy living in Philadelphia, and I really loved the trips that I would make out to Seattle, and I just decided to move out here one day thinking, oh, it'll be cool. It'll be a bonus to be able to go have access to Scarecrow Video. But I ended up getting a job uh, just because, you know, I needed a job when I moved here, and I applied there for the hell of it, and I ended up getting stuck there. Nice. Because I can't leave. 
I know. Again, I would have the same problem. Were I hired there, I don't think I'd ever want to stop. Yeah, you know, basically they they pay me. They don't pay me a ton, but they pay me enough to uh, to basically play with my toys all day. <laughs> well, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, so, where did your love of movies come from? What's your history with them? Um, I think my love of movies just came from being an indoor kid. I was an only child. Uh, I, I've always been real. I've always had like a real anxiety problem. Uh, I get real, I get, I tend to calamitize. I tend to get real upset about things that aren't really a big deal. So I, I, I my brain is kind of always racing. Uh, <laughs> and, and the movies were the only thing that would ever shut it up. Uh, from when I was a little kid, that's, that's sort of how I got involved in just sort of watching a lot of movies before I really knew what they were or how to look at them. Um, and as I, as I got older, you know, you watch more and more stuff and you start to notice patterns and you start to recognize names. And, and that's just sort of where it came from. Just, just sitting around watching movies, you know, other people, uh, came to it for a good reason. I came to it because the TV was always on my early, <laughs> my early film education was, uh, Late night movies on the UHF stations. Nice, nice. Well, did they when they hired you? This is just a quick question. When they hired you at Scarecrow, do they have some kind of test, or I mean, do you? <laughs> how do you qualify uh, yourself to work there? No, that's that. That is a rumor. People do think you like. We've had people ask us, "What about the essay?" <laughs> uh, there's a rumor going around that we have to make people do an essay. No, uh, the the process of getting hired at Scarecrow is is much less stringent than it was when I got hired, which is not to say that it was really hard at all. Uh, <laughs> it, nowadays, it's just a simple interview. When I got hired there, I was interviewed by four people at once. It was like kind of a grill interview, and they just asked me kinds of, what would you recommend to this customer if they asked for this kind of thing? Or what's oh. the last kind of thing like this that you saw? Um it really wasn't it really wasn't that difficult. The only thing that surprises me about it now is when I look at when I look at my taste and the things that I liked and the stuff that I'd seen, well, I guess is almost 10 years ago now. Uh I feel like I can't believe they hired me. <laughs> well, I was uh, going to that's another something I just thought of is is you obviously you must feel like your taste has expanded exponentially since having oh, access. Yeah. Oh yeah, I you know I came when I came to Seattle. I was I was at the time working in a little video store in Philadelphia where I where I moved here from, and uh, and they used to make fun of me there because they would go like, "Oh Matt, how many of these movies have you seen?" And or "Have you seen this? Have you seen that?" And invariably, I would probably have seen it, um, but uh, but it was nothing compared to what I've done in the last couple in the last few years just being at Scarecrow. Uh, I must have I must have tripled or quadrupled my sort of catalog uh, in that time just because. Uh, you know, I grew up in, in the suburbs. Uh, I didn't have access to a lot of really, really diverse material. Um, I, I sort of devoured whatever I could get my hands on. But uh, but Scarecrow Video is an entirely different animal. Uh, there, there's almost nothing I can't find. Yeah, that's... Uh, I, little I can't find, I'm uh, crappy enough to find on my own. <laughs> um, I'm going to jump ahead real quick because we're kind of in this area. But so... I think it was 2011. You watched a thousand, something more than a thousand movies. Is that? It was right? 2010. 2010. Sorry, I, I watched a little over a thousand. I watched a thousand and three movies in 2010. Wow. And um, how did you do that? Like, when do you watch? I'm just curious how this can be pulled off. This. I just want to start off the story by saying that I, this is not something I care to brag about. <laughs> uh, 
it was it was not something it was also not something I entered into on purpose. Um, I had come off the time where I'd had a lot of time off and had started to watch significantly more films that I would normally watch, which was still a lot, but more. Um, and started to think, well, I should at least keep track of this. So I started a Tumblr where I would just put up a poster for every movie that I watched, which I still maintain. Uh, it's these are the movies I watch.tumblr.com. You can see everything I watch. I put up a poster for every single movie I watch. Uh, but anyway, I started to keep track of them. And after, I don't know, five or six months of that, I started to notice how much I was watching, which was at the time a real significant amount of stuff. It still is, but it's tapered off since then. Um, and by the time, like, I don't know, late August rolled around, I started to realize that if I kept up the pace that I was that I was keeping, that I would be able to watch a thousand movies in a year, and that just seemed like a good idea for some reason. I can't explain. So I did, um, and I wouldn't recommend it because December wasn't any fun. That was that was. I think I watched that 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 month. I watched like over a hundred movies in a month, and uh, and it was more like cramming at that point. That wasn't any fun. I enjoyed some of the movies I watched, but. Yeah, at the, end, at the end of that year, I was burned out for a little while. Uh, not too long, but a little while. So, I mean, you were just watching uh, 24. I mean, obviously, I know you don't no, count it, things that it, you watch at work. The math is actually not that difficult. It taps out to about three movies a day. Oh, wow. And uh, I usually get two full days off a week. So on, on, on an average day off, I'll watch between three and five movies just because that's other people have hobbies. Other people go outside or listen to music or whatever. I don't. I don't really do that. I like to just sit in front of my television and watch movies. That's my favorite thing to do, and that's what I choose to do with my time off. Um, it, it interferes with my writing. I'm too lazy. I, I would rather watch movies and write about them. <laughs> that's the problem. Anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, it only taps out to about three movies a day. Given that I have about two two full days off a week, that you know I can knock out ten or twelve in that period of time. My night shifts usually afford me the time to watch a movie during the day. Uh, I very often will watch something when I get home, even if it's late. Uh, not all the time, but but a lot of the time. And, and, you know, it seems like a lot, but if you don't really care to do a whole lot of other different things, <laughs> easy. Oh, cool. Well, people can people can attempt it. I think my, my highest that I've ever recorded, but that's not when I was working at a video store, um, was like 530-something. Um, see that that's still a lot of movies especially for, for a guy that's got two kids i yeah, yeah, i take yeah, a little yeah, pride in it but, but that I, was I, that was tough that was hard to pull off i have to say so <laughs> after you have a year like that and i'm sure a year like your thousand like you say you just want to take a breather a little bit yeah well i'll tell you the, the sick thing is that uh uh 2011 the year after that was 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 like a no effort year where i just did what i wanted um like like in 2010, I made sure no repeats, uh, yeah. things like that. Unless unless I wanted to see something theatrically again, like I saw Inception a couple of times that year. So no repeats in 2010. In 2011, I allowed myself to pretty much do whatever I want and to not worry about how many things I was watching. And I still clocked over 800. Oh my god, yeah, it's pathetic. No, no, it's not. I absolutely. I remember when I worked at a video store out here in LA, and I would look forward to my days off. I would plan out. You know, five to eight movies sometimes on those yeah. days, and 
It was it was great, man. I used to love. Oh man, I miss it. I miss it. It's hard to <laughs> it's hard to find time for one now. I'm watching them on my yeah. lunch and whatever. But um, anyway, uh, moving on. Um, so you host the Scarecrow Video Podcast, which I'm a big fan of, and I think you yes, know. Yes, you are. <laughs> oh, have you, ever, have you ever copy of Voyage of the Rock Alien sitting right next to me? It ended, oh. up, it ended up back in my house. My girlfriend brought it, my girlfriend brought it home for me because it had the box the package had my name on it. So <laughs> I haven't brought it to the store. No, that's awesome though. I'm glad that's going to find really a home. I'm glad it's going to find a home at Scarecrow. That is kind of an honor to me to have a movie contributed That's there. Awesome. I love this cover, too. It's great, by it's the way. It's a good cover. It's it's not quite as good as the cover for the other import that I have. But, um, no. But uh, anyway, um, so I love listening to the show. I love to hear you guys talk about what you've been watching. It's like a timeless time capsule thing that I can – like I think I've told you, I've gone back through all the episodes, and it's not ever really dated because you guys are always watching such diverse older stuff. Anyway, I can't believe you could listen to that stuff, man. It's a disaster zone, that podcast. I, dude, I, I love it, man. I've, I've, I'm always looking for new stuff to watch, and you guys are driven the way I'm driven to seek out new material. So anyway, um, uh, how did that show get started? How did you guys get going with that? Uh, that show got started because I uh, – a, a mutual friend of some coworkers of mine who's also a comedian, she, uh, she has her own podcast. She actually now works at Scarecrow with us. Uh, her name is Alicia Sanchez, and she does a podcast called The Animatic Cinematic. Alicia just loves terrible movies. She loves them. They're her favorite thing. And she had myself and uh, Kevin Clark, who you probably know from the podcast. Yeah. And uh, uh, let's see, another coworker of mine, Rich, he was on an early episode, and Mark Palm. All these guys are my coworkers and have all done the podcast a few times. Uh, Laird, who you talked to on Twitter, he was on this one too. Oh, nice. We, we all did a podcast with her. Where we uh, we got drunk and watched LA Street Fighters, aka Ninja Turf, which oh. is awful, awful fucking movie. I totally want to see that one. That's on my list. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's up there. I, I don't know, but it's awful. It's an awful movie, and uh, we did like a, a sort of a takedown podcast on that, and uh, that was a lot of fun for me. I'm not sure if it was anything that anybody would want to listen to, but I really had a good time doing it, and I just thought Scarecrow should do something like this. And so we did. And for a while, we were it with, like, another guy, not I guess a producer, but between him, you know, he's not a professional producer or anything like that. Everybody has day jobs, and it became a difficult to sort of schedule, which is why I think if you look at the early podcasts so that we'll do one every, like, two months, or there'll be a four-month break in between podcasts, we just couldn't schedule them. But eventually, I just decided to take over, do it myself, and put a microphone, and just do it on my laptop. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much it. We just, it was just fun, and I wanted to figure out a way to use like to promote the store, and it just seemed like a no-brainer. Very cool. Very cool. Are there any upcoming themed shows or interviews that you guys have planned for this year for the show? No, I'm too lazy to plan these things out ahead of time. Usually, uh, I spend the, I usually do one every two weeks. And I usually spend most of that time thinking, what the hell am I going to talk about this week? <laughs> um, if I'm lucky, I'll come up with an idea for like an interview, somebody local, somebody I know I can talk to for 45 minutes. Um, those tend to be pretty popular. People like those. Yeah, those are cool. But um, a lot of times it's just sort of like, how am I going to get, you know, is there a new section up at the store? Uh, something like that, that I can latch onto, that I can build a podcast around. 
Um, and then the other part of it is, is getting people to be on the podcast, which is easier said than done. Uh, people like to do it, but you know, everybody works and everybody is busy and has other things that they have to do. And I hate calling people in off on their day off or whatever to come in and, and podcast. Uh, usually I can entice them with, you know, uh, the promise of a couple of beers, <laughs> but that doesn't always do the trick. Uh, that would do the trick for me just about any time, but not for everyone else. <laughs> well, it works out well. That's cool. I mean, uh, interesting to know that, you know, it's just sort of um, on the day kind of stuff. I mean, and like I said, there's you guys, you're, they're so, you're so steeped in the movies and rich with the material that I like to listen to as far as recommendations that it certainly doesn't, you know, show as disorganized or anything like that. Not to say that it is, you know, but... Uh, well, I mean, I think it definitely is disorganized, but... Uh, Ultimately, the, the the idea, if you wanna if you wanna get a little more cerebral about it, is is that I want to give people a taste of what it's like for us to be at Scarecrow. This is how what you hear on the podcast is how we talk to each other while we're working. Uh, you know, while we're getting movies for people, putting stuff away. And that's the that's the stuff that I love. Hello. Do you not hear me? Oh, I, I, you dropped out for a second there. Um, I hear you just fine. You hear me just fine? Okay. Um, I was just going to say that that is the stuff that I love to hear, and like I said, it, it's very nostalgic for me. It takes me back. I, I mean, those some of the friends I made at the video store I worked at out in L.A. are still my good friends now. I mean, there's just something about that kind of job that's really – bonding and obviously if you find people with similar tastes to you it it's it just i don't know it just really transcends a lot of stuff yeah it's a great place to be and you know it's a great place a video store is a great place to work if you're a movie nerd but you could you can work at a million video stores and never work at a video store like scarecrow it's, oh for sure i'm not i'm not trying to take anything out of other stores no uh, any, any independent video store that's still open has got my vote yeah, but, sadly, the, sadly, the one that I worked at was of independent, and and they've just closed their doors. I think end of last year, finally. Yeah, um, which is too bad. But you know, uh, I'm glad you guys are still around. I hope you continue to you know go strong. It's we're still kicking. There's nothing like it. So it's it's like a living, breathing museum of movies, and I just I <laughs> I want to see it you know very soon if I can get my ass up. Oh, you should come up. It would be awesome. I would love to, man. Um, so, uh, one of my favorite things when I go to video stores, the few that are left, um, is that I like to look at the, the, um, staff pick section just to get a, a flavor of the people that work there and whatnot. And, um, what, so what movies, I think you've already told me this on Twitter, but I think people should know what movies are currently in your staff picks. Uh, I forget what, what the ones I told you about on Twitter where they've changed since then. Oh, cool. Uh, so we just put up a new. We do it every couple months. We change the staff fix section. We should do it more frequently, but we don't. Uh, um, oh, let's see. I wrote down what I have in there right now. I have uh, Welcome to Hard Times, which just came out on MOD. I forget what studio put it out. It might be Warner. It might be MGM. It's a western. I forget from what year. It's directed by Burke Kennedy. Oh, okay, it's yeah. It's based I was like, on a Neil Doctorow novel with Henry Fonda. And he plays like sort of this this uh, sheriff of this like crummy little western town, and then one day Aldo Ray comes into town and just uh, just just burns the whole town down basically. <laughs> and uh, 
And uh, it's, it's really, really good Western. Burt Kennedy wrote a lot of great films. Uh, he worked with Bud Bedecker. He also, I believe, I'm not positive about this, and I can't look up IMDb right now, but I'm pretty sure he directed Suburban Commando. Oh, well, I can't. But I'm not that. sure about that. I'll have to look um, Suburban Commando? The yeah. oh, oh, my God. Yeah, he like he wrote Seven Men From Now, which is one of the greatest Westerns of all time. I don't know if you've seen Seven Men From Now. I absolutely love Seven Men From Now. In fact, I did a best of 1956 list on my blog last week, and, and I put that in there. That may have the best opening scene of any movie ever. Oh, it's great. It's fucking uh, great. I'm pretty sure he also directed Suburban Commando. I'm not positive about that. I'm trying to look that up right now. Um, <laughs> but, um... But yeah, no, that's a great opening scene. I, I was lucky enough to see that screened at the um, American Cinematheque Egyptian Theater before mm. the DVD. This was probably like eight or nine years ago now. I can't remember what it played with, um, but man, was that great. It was just so uh, – me, me and my, my good friend were really into Batterker at the time. We'd sought out some bootleg VHS tapes and things like that. Yeah, that was how I saw most of his stuff early. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he was one of those guys. Work from that period. I really love Buchanan Rides Alone. I think that's my favorite one. That's a good one. That's um, it's kind of like Fistful of Dollars. Yeah, where is, is... Randolph Scott is playing these two gangs off each other, but it's funny. It's one of the only ones where Randolph Scott gets to play that guy as as a funny character. Yeah, I got I, I get him a little bit mixed up. I'm I'm think I'm thinking of Ride Lonesome, um, where he's his was his wife killed in Ride Lonesome. Uh, that's either, they tend to run together for me too, because they all sort of have similar features. It's that's true. There may be multiple wife killings. Because it had a sort of a more unique, uh, tone to it. Uh, but I, yeah, I tend to get them mixed up. But yeah. the titles are the ones that I can't remember. Like I can remember that this happens in that movie, but I can't put the title to it. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would give some plot points from it to, just to clarify if you remember it, but I don't want to give, I think people should... Just fucking buy that Bedeker box set. Yeah, that box set's amazing. Yeah, that is one of my favorite purchases I've made in the past five or six years. I was so excited when that came out. Um, anyway, um, what, what else? else? Do I have the staff picks. I've been watching all of Abel Ferrara's movies lately. Oh, I know where you're going with this. Because um, I've been because I want to watch that new one, and I hadn't seen any of his movies in years, so I, I went back and watched all of them. So I, my two favorites have been uh, Dangerous Game with Madonna, which if you haven't seen it. Uh, you look at the back of the box for this, and it just looks like the kind of sleazy '90s erotic thriller, straight to video shit that 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 you think it might be. But it's it's one of the more unpleasant uh, and and audacious, intense, and and uh, Madonna's actually quite good in it. Harvey Keitel plays this guy who's sort of a Ferrara stand, and he's the director of this movie. And Madonna and James Russo play a couple in the movie and in the movie the the couple is in this horrible you know drug abusive physically abusive relationship it's kind of mirrored by you know the way that the actors behave on the set um it's really really good and it has some a lot of the a lot of the stuff in the movie that's that's what you're watching is them filming the film within a film it's some of the best sort of mock documentary footage i've ever seen it's almost shot from the point of view of a waiting camera you know the camera's sitting there and nobody's using it but you're looking through the viewfinder while this scene is going on around you so people will just sort of pass in and out of frame talk to each it goes and it goes sort of on and on like that uh 
I really enjoyed that film. But even better was an earlier film of his called Fear City. <laughs> yes. Which is uh, one of the great, it has to be one of the great uh, sleaze classics uh, of, the, of the 80s. Um, I kind of thought of this movie as being uh, like that movie Vice Squad with Wings Hauser, only uh, much more unpleasant. Oh, wow. Um, which is, you know, not, not really anything to sneeze at because Vice Squad is, is a really great piece of sleeve. But Fear um, City stars uh, Jack Scalia and, more importantly, Tom Berenger, and they are these guys who run a really swanky, successful strip joint on 42nd Street. Uh, Berenger is an ex-boxer who's still uh, haunted by having to sort of hang up his gloves because he killed a kid in the ring. And uh, meanwhile, a, a crazy martial arts expert is cutting up their strippers. Uh, <laughs> so, like, there's a great scene where Radon Chong, as one of the strippers, is waiting for a subway, and, and the guy sneaks up uh, behind her and cuts her forehead with a straight razor so all the blood starts bleeding down into her face, and she can't see. So she's flailing around screaming while he's doing all this stupid, almost Steven Seagal-y, like, martial arts ninja moves, like, sort of dancing around her and, like, coming in and cutting her in the back of the thigh. Oh, my God. Really just miserable, nasty violence. Uh, it's, a, it's a great, great movie uh, if you like that kind of thing. Obviously, it's starting to become clear that I have a real affinity for, for uh, exploitation movies, and sort of sleaze classics like that, uh, the, the more unpleasant, the better. The more likely <laughs> someone's going to go, well, that sounds terrible, the more likely I am to enjoy it. Nice. <laughs> uh, that, was, that was a great one. I, I had never seen it before, and I just adore it. Damn it. Yeah. I've always meant to see that, and it was on Netflix Instant, and I was I kept bumping it up, and I never... Now it's off, there's so I have to really just buy it. Of it. Uh, well worth checking out. Is there a commentary on that DVD, by the way? You know, I don't know... He's done a few commentaries on on his films, um, and and I haven't listened to any of them. But I was actually talking to some people at work about this the other day, and uh, I guess they told me a story about how he did a, he did a commentary for one of his movies called Blackout. And I just watched that. I didn't really care for it, but apparently he just gets irritated in the middle of the comedy commentary and just walks out. <laughs> I was also told that he's fond of using phrases like "uh spaghettios" and things. <laughs> Uh, it's it pretty intriguing, but uh, it, as far as that, as far as like commentary tracks and stuff like that go, I almost never listened to them. Yeah, anymore. yeah, I did a lot when I was younger, and now I just kind of feel like it takes the mystery out of things. Sometimes uh, there are a few commentaries that I think I would love to hear, but in general, I just sort of don't bother anymore. I, I don't really know if I have a good reason for that, but I think I just sort of got of movie extras. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I think I have some theory about uh, my own retirement and that I'll be digging through those extras when I retire. I don't think that'll yeah. really happen, but... I, I don't want to suggest that I don't think they have value. I just think I got burned out on them. No, I understand. Well, plus, that's time you could be watching another movie. You could be watching another movie. Now, if somebody told me that I was going to get a Michael Bay commentary on Bad Boys 2, that I would watch. Uh, I would have to. Hello, Criterion. Come on. Please. No Blu-ray yet. Put it out on Blu-ray anyway. I, I just it's, it's killing me that it's not out on Blu-ray. <laughs> I know you're a huge fan. I'm I'm definitely a fan of it too. It is it is insane. And that people should be- tune into the podcast for no other reason than to hear recurring discussions of Bad Boys too. It comes up a lot. It's one of my favorite uh, pet 
subjects. I I think that movie is is basically uh, a, a it's a it's a it's like a compendium of bad vibes left over from eighties cop movies. <laughs> That's well put. That's well put. Um, and then I guess I have one more staff pick. No, two more actually. Well, how many did you guys uh, get? Did you get five? Five. Okay. I get five. Cool. Uh, so I picked Johnny Mnemonic of I, all things. Wow, I still haven't seen that. Jesus. It, you know, I'm a I was a big William Gibson fan when I was a little kid, uh, little kid, still a teenager, and I still am. Um, and it's based <laughs> on one of his short stories, which is a really good story, and the movie is not really resembling his work at all. But it also, it, well, it doesn't resemble the story, but it packs a lot of ideas from his stories and other novels that he wrote. He wrote the screenplay. And they're all sort of crammed into this weird story that sort of loosely resembles what happens in the short story that it's based on. And the cut that I watched is a lot longer than the U.S. cut. It was taken from a Japanese laser disc, Ooh. so it has like 20 more minutes of Beat Takeshi footage in it. Nice. Beat Takeshi plays one of the minor characters in it. Um, and I just sort of thought that, you know, movies like that that take place in the future but were made 15, 20 years ago always have a problem with seeming kind of dated and silly. And this one doesn't necessarily avoid it so much. It's so packed with weird ideas that I just couldn't get over how sort of it had this great combination of being surprisingly prescient and awkwardly dated at the same time. Nice. Whereas if you watch a movie that's sort of from the same time about this thing like Hackers, that just ended up seeming silly. Uh, this actually sort of felt like it had something going on. That's cool. No, I, that totally makes it. sense. I, I've been meaning to see it. My, I think my wife has seen it and – you know, doesn't think it's good, but is like, yeah, we should maybe, you know, watch it. So I, I need to check it out. It's pretty amusing. And the last one I picked was this 1986 movie called Heat with Burt Reynolds. Oh. Uh, which uh, a friend of mine turned me on to because uh, he's big. Uh, he, he heard about the De Palma remake that he's De Palma is supposedly remaking this film. It's based on a William Goldman novel. Oh, nice. I didn't even know uh, about this. Yeah, supposedly De Palma's redoing it with Jason Statham. And so my friend is a big fan of Statham. He likes a lot of direct-to-video action movies and stuff. And he watched it. He turned me on to this. And it's surprisingly pretty good. Burt Reynolds plays like this ex-mercenary who just hangs out in Vegas and uh, picks up odd jobs. And he gets hired to – he gets hired by this rich guy, Peter McNichol, who's kind of like a <laughs> character. That's hilarious. Uh, before that was a thing. But he's like a, he's like a software billionaire. And he hires Burt Reynolds to teach him how to be tough. And then meanwhile, there's a story of, there's a subplot about how one of Burt Reynolds' friends, who's a prostitute, gets beaten up by this, like, asshole scion of a mafia family. And so there's sort of these two plot lines, and they, they don't really come together in the end, but that's almost not the point. It's sort of about this awesome guy and how he carries himself. Uh and it's got some really fun action and some really interesting character beats. There's a great scene where where Burt Reynolds goes and starts gambling at blackjack. And, uh, and he starts winning just an insane amount of money. And uh, and then he and then he loses it all. Like he literally goes away from the table thinking, all right, I've got my I've got what I came for. I got all this money. I've got enough money to retire to Italy, which is his big dream. Uh but then he realizes that he can't stop himself from gambling, so he goes back to the table. And he just sort of slowly realizes that this man's problem is that he's a gambling addict. Wow. Very strange moment in the middle of another bizarre, like, sort of normal 80s video action movie. That's cool. It sounds somewhat character-driven for a Burt Reynolds movie. It is. 
I really, I, I think he's underrated. I mean, obviously everybody sort of has an ironic love for Burt Reynolds and his movies from that time period. But I actually think he's a really, really good actor given a certain range. And the movies he directed are pretty much all great. Uh, he did Gator, which is the sequel to White Lightning, which yeah. I prefer to White Lightning. I think it's much better. Oh, wow. Um, everybody sort of loved White Lightning. I think Gator's sort of more fun, and it, it's, uh, it's, I think it's better photographed. And he also did The Great Sharky's Machine. Yeah, that's fantastic. A masterpiece. Still, uh, still not widescreen on DVD, right? Silver movies. Well, there's one for you. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. But that's still not on widescreen DVD yet, right? No, it's only full screen, Fucking unfortunately. Um, I think that would make a great double feature with Lethal Weapon, frankly. Nice. But, uh, yeah, that's a great one. And he did a movie called The End, which is a comedy about trying to kill himself. Yeah, with uh, Dom DeLuise, right? DeLuise, yeah, really good. And one more, I can't remember one more he did. I mean, he directed a lot of different stuff, but theatrical films. I can't remember the fourth one. Did he do City Heat? No, uh, no I that don't Eastwood, think he right? did. No, Eastwood's in that one, Who the fuck but they didn't. He, neither of them directed it. Okay. I think Richard Benjamin directed that movie. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. That's, wow, yeah, that's that's a strange, anyway. <laughs> Strange that I know that is what it is. Well, not not strange that you know that, but just strange that he directed that movie. I actually like Richard Benjamin movies quite a bit, but that's not one I would have necessarily snagged as one of his. No, I think he was a higher gun on that. Yeah, I think you're right. That sounds right on. Um, let's see here. So, um, so you you had talked about you know sort of off the idea of staff picks. You talked about special sections that you guys do at Scarecrow. Like right now, you guys have an '80s section. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you decide what to do this? sections about and um like how often do you change them out uh they that's there isn't really a process involved in that um so you'll come up with an idea for a section and we'll do one if we can find a good spot for it or if we have the time to pull one up uh the 80 section is in sort of a big a big special session that we do and we change those out like every four months or so but they stay for a long time because they're so large um and there, there isn't really a process to picking what's going to go where or what sections we're going to do uh everybody's kind of involved if someone's got a good idea there's a really good chance it'll get put up uh, it's, there's honestly no good story there. And that's cool. That's fine. <laughs> I was just wondering, do the sections do pretty well when you guys get them all done? Oh, yeah. Uh, they tend to. The place is so big and so maze-like that anything that draws people to a certain spot with a lot of interesting stuff is <laughs> to rent well. <laughs> um, and is it like every everybody gets to pick 10 and then you guys sort of compile the votes? Yeah, I mean, it. It depends on the section. Like uh, you listen, you probably listen to the podcast about the foreign films. Yeah, that was a smaller section than the eighty section, but one that was put together differently as well. Like uh, that one, you would, we were asked to rank our choices, and then the, the votes were weighted and tallied, and that's what made it into the section. Okay, yeah, Whereas that's right. the best of the eighty section that we have, everybody just got to pick ten, and there was a thing you know, sort of saying, like, try not to duplicate as much as you can. Uh, so we can get the most amount of titles in there. That's cool. And people are pretty good about that. I mean, people are pretty good about saying, well, that one's been picked twice. I'll try to pick something new. No, that's cool. You guys definitely seem driven to, you know, give uh, exposure to films, not only the films people obviously love and know, but smaller films that they don't know, looking for, you know, more obscure stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're just more aware of the fact that, that 
that's part of our job is to just put somebody together with a movie that they've never heard of. Yeah. No, that's got to be quite a pleasure. I mean, I know on a personal level, on a much smaller scale, I mean, I used to try and do it at the video store, but on a personal level, that's really satisfying. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, nine times out of ten, you can't judge people's taste and they come back and tell you that something was terrible. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you can only do your best. Absolutely. Well, I was going to say, on the topic of the 80s, are there any underseen 80s gems that are in the section that you might call out? Oh, my God. I mean, uh, just a couple. I mean, I know there's uh, the section's huge. I hadn't really thought about that. There, You know, there's so much stuff in there, uh, and it's a, a lot of it is honestly stuff that you would ex- expect to be in there. Yeah. Um, I was, you probably heard me talking on the podcast last time, I was really surprised that I didn't put Sharky's Machine in there. Oh, yeah. Um, because I really, I really do adore that movie, but I had to make room for stuff like The Killer or For Lethal Weapon. These are the movies that are dear to my heart. You know, a lot of people think of the 80s and they think of Amblin or they think of, you know, or Spielberg, something like that. You know, yeah. popular, big hits that families enjoyed and have, you know, sort of entered, their, entered our consciousness and informed us as we've grown up. The movies I liked in the 80s were uh, the ones that I had to go to a friend's house and sneak on cable. Nice. You know? Uh, I was a huge action movie fan from a really young age, so that sort of has been the engine of my love of movies. And so, yeah, I had to make room for Lethal Weapon. That's one of the best movies of the 80s for me. That, I can't argue uh, So I can't really speak to anything that I think is rare, because I don't think that we have a whole lot of, uh, like, hidden gems in that section. Okay. No, that's cool. It's not that kind of section. Did you guys uh, end up adding um, Ninja 3? Uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure we will. Uh I, that's the kind of thing that I'll talk about and then forget to check up on later. No, I totally understand. I would do the same thing, but that's I just remember there being a discussion on the podcast about how that was a huge oversight or something like it that. It is a huge, huge oversight. I can't believe we forgot that. I mean, I don't think there's anybody there that hasn't seen it. And yeah. if there is, uh, you need to be like hazed or something. Yeah. You certainly need to be like strapped into a chair and possibly forced at gunpoint to watch it. Absolutely. No, everybody should watch that film. Absolutely everyone. Absolutely. For God's sakes! Yeah, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I was going to say, can you um, talk about some films that you saw when you were younger that made a big impression and like what, how they affected you? Um, I think that the two the two biggest movie experiences of my young life were both Paul Verhoeven movies. Uh, I. It's because of Paul Verhoeven that I love action movies, I think, and it's also because of Paul Verhoeven that I'm obsessed with screen violence and that kind of edgy sleaze that has a little bit of thought behind it as well. Um, And that's because the first R-rated movie that I ever saw was RoboCop. My parents took when it came out. They took you to see it when it came out? Sorry, you dropped out just for a second there. Uh, they didn't know anything about what it was going to be. <laughs> they thought they had a son who liked robots, and that seemed like a good idea at the time. So they were horrified about the movie that they exposed me to, and it scared the hell out of me. I'm sure. Forty percent of it through my hands. <laughs> um, but I loved it. I loved it. I'd never seen anything so cool. I didn't get it. I didn't understand the social commentary. All I knew was that there was a robot with his leg, and he fucking killed everybody. <laughs> I thought it was so cool. 
Um, and I also have a weird memory about that movie. This is a strange story, but that movie, I saw it on a Saturday night, and I went home, and on Fox that night, there was a show that premiered, a Savage Steve Holland show called The Adventures of Bean Baxter. I got to see this. You mentioned this, yeah. It's not a good show, <laughs> but Kurtwood Smith played the villain in that show, too. So I had seen Clarence Fodaker, and then I came home. He was a bad guy in this other show that I thought was really cool because I had that, – that show was about a kid who was also a spy – <laughs> and I had fantasies about that, as any eight-year-old boy does. And so I thought that was really cool, and, and then he was the bad guy. So that, that movie made a big impression on me. Yeah. And then uh, he did, his next film was Total Recall. Total Recall. And uh, I had to beg my parents to let me see that one because <laughs> it was the same guy. And they, they relented, and, and I went and saw it. Of course, I love Total Recall. But again, I had not yet sort of developed a taste for for graphic violence yet i still got scared by those things and uh then i got real sick and i had to stay home from school for a little while right when total recall came out on videotape and so i asked my dad to bring it home to me from blockbuster and he did and i sat there and watched it again you know hiding behind the sofa and then i just decided this is ridiculous i'm gonna sit here and watch it i'm not gonna cover my eyes (laughs) and uh and i did and it not only was it not quite as bad as my imagination had had uh, had caused me to believe, but it was just bad enough to get me to really love bloody, bloody screen violence. <laughs> and so ever since then, that's sort of been a, a real touchstone for me. I am frequently accused of coming back from an action movie and complaining that it's not violent enough, or why was it in the dark when I couldn't see the squibs going off? Things like that. <laughs> nice. That, yeah. that was, those are real formative. And then the other, the other big thing for me was when I was real little, we, we rented from a little video store called Rentertainment, where I grew up in Baltimore. I love that name. It's a pretty good name. And my, my dad uh, made it a point to show me all of the Bond movies. And basically, to this day, I'll watch them every year. I just I, I watch them over and over and over again. I can't get enough of them. I know that there aren't most of them aren't very good. Uh, there are a few that I like a lot, but most of them are pretty terrible. I don't really care. <laughs> they're, they're sort of a touchstone comfort food for me. I, when I was in college, it seemed like it never failed that whenever I had finals, that would be when USA or whatever channel would run the Bond Marathon, <laughs> and I would be unable to study. Nice. <laughs> um, I was going to – so do you have any – I mean this may not be an issue for you working at Scarecrow, but um, – one question I often ask people is, there are there films you want to see come out on DVD that haven't been put out yet? Another thing is that the MOD wave has really taken a lot of that stuff and, and yeah. made it available. That stuff's gone. Yeah. Uh, there, I, if you'd asked me this question three years ago, I'd have had a list for you an arm long. Yeah. They're they're out now. Including what? I'm just curious. what. Uh, well, the big one was Hickey and Bob. Yeah, that's great. Uh, which... Uh, I saw for the first time a few years ago, finally, it ran on like MGM HD or something. Yeah. And I, where had that movie been all my life? <laughs> it's, it immediately became one of the best, the best things I've ever seen. I love that movie. It's a great movie. I think it's almost entirely flawless. And I'm a huge, uh, I'm a big Shane Black fan. And he's seen that movie. For sure. <laughs> it's, it's so obvious that so much of his work comes out of that one movie. Uh, anyway, yeah, that's a big one. Uh, there was another one that came out on Warner Archive. It was actually in the first wave of Warner Archive, a James Bridges movie called Mike's Murder. 
Yeah, that's you know, a cool one. Liked. That's a really, really good movie. James Bridges is an underrated director. No, we were talking about this on Twitter, I think. and uh, Yeah, he, well, he did that movie Perfect that I'm kind of a big fan yeah, of. Yeah, which I rewatched again, and I realized I don't think I had seen the whole thing. Um, like I'd no, seen... you saw the Jamie Lee Curtis parts. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know what happened. I, I remember the beginning, but then I don't remember the end. So when I watched it, I'm going to count it for part of my my you know favorites of discoveries of 2012 because I don't really think I've seen it in its entirety. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's, it is... yeah, and it's really. I mean, it's silly and it's it's awkwardly dated, but it it really takes those characters seriously. It yeah. never ever makes fun of them just to make fun of them or to make fun of the scene. It's 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 a very earnest drama, and I think that's interesting given the fact that if you were to make a film about uh, aerobicized now, it would be it would be a joke. Well, I wish someone would anyway. But uh, say what? I said I wish someone would anyway. I wish someone would. I don't think I don't think that they will. Yeah, I don't think should. so. Either. Um, so yeah, I love James Bridges. That's a good movie, Mike's Murder. Uh, now, now, what's the issue with Mur- Mike's Murder? It's it's been it was taken away from him, or the original yeah, cut was away from him. originally it was structured to play backwards, like mm. Memento. So, so cool. you would get. The scene you would get the last scene, and then the next scene would be the one before it, and then before that, and before that. Um, and the studio said, "Nah," and they recut it and put it in chronological order. And uh, God, somebody did a soundtrack for it—a pretty famous musician, but I can't—I can't think of his name right now. Uh, and they—they they they put a new score in. They took the music out. Um. And I think if you watch it, though, you'll see that it, it it works pretty great the way that it is. But it also would have worked that way as well, I think. Somebody uh, should do that. Somebody should. Um, there's plenty it. of people, yeah, with with enough time on their hands to. Uh... You know, but I, I just don't know that I don't know that it was exactly the way that I described it. You know, I don't know yeah. that it was to play exactly in that structure. So I worry that doing that would would just make no sense. Yeah, I suppose. Uh, and then the, the score is obviously set up to play. <clears throat> you know, front to back, and I don't think... Yeah, that's... I guess so. I really don't know what the process was when they did that. Um, uh, that movie's also pretty cool as a great late-period L.A. noir. Which I uh, love. I'm... Just like Speaking of Boggs, really. Uh, all sort of sun-drenched, and really like, you know, parts of the city that you never see in movies, just run-down motels, uh, houses up in the hills. It's pretty great. Yeah, I love, I love L.A.-based... I mean, yeah, obviously, I, I'm not from... LA, but living here, you know, 10 plus years <clears throat> and loving the 70s era films, any of them that take place in LA is something that is just so mesmerizing to me. I don't know what it is. It's just one of those things where I'm like, I wish I could have been here. Yeah. You know, just because it was such a great time for film. Not that I could have ever been involved with anything, but just the, to know that this is filmed at that time, you know, I don't know, something about it. Yeah, I love it. Truck Turner is another movie I love too that people don't really think of in terms of that kind of thing, but it's a great uh, Backstreets L.A. movie. That's cool. I totally forgot that was L.A. altogether. That's good. Oh, so good. I love Truck Turner. It's my favorite black exploitation movie, hands down. It's the best black exploitation movie. It's hands down the best. Yeah, there's no question. Uh, and uh, that's Jonathan Kaplan directed that. That's easily his best movie. That's uh, uh, a masterpiece. It's totally unheralded. The yeah. people who've seen it love it. Yeah. But too many people don't go far enough. They go, oh, I saw Shaft, I saw Superfly, I don't need to see Truck Turner. Yes, you do. <laughs> Actually, you don't need to see those other ones as much as you need to see Truck Turner. Absolutely. No, I agree. 
Shark Turner is where people should start, although I would say it'd be unfortunate because it's all downhill from there. No, don't start there. Do that. I'll save that one. Savor that. It's so good. Oh, my God. The joke's about the smelling like cat pee and the way he has that weird relationship with his girlfriend. He's like, I've watched some beer and fried chicken, you know, and she's ready to dump him. And he's like, but I got you a kitty. <laughs> oh, it's so it's so good. And no, it's Jessica awesome. Cotto and Michelle Nichols are just so good. At oh, it. she is. Uh, Michelle Nichols is mind blowing. She's yeah. If you haven't, I mean, people who haven't seen that movie, if you want to see her from Star Trek, just say the filthiest shit you can think of. <laughs> Go see that movie. Yeah, she is. She is nearly frightening, and I, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. So that was like just this really. Um, amazing, disturbing thing. I'm a huge, uh, I'm a huge Trek fan. I'm going. I'm actually going to see Rathacon in 70 millimeter. In oh, nice! They're showing it at the Cinerama Theater up here, so I'm pretty excited about that. Taking mom. That's fucking <laughs> sweet, dude. That is a hell of a nice Mother's Day, pre Mother's Day deal. Mother's Day pre 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 show. Yeah. Um. Uh, so, all right. Well, that's cool. That's a bunch of great stuff. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, even though those are already out, people need to see all those movies we just talked about if they haven't. Um, are there any Holy Grail movies that like have never been available on anything that you are still kind of looking to see, or is that not really an issue either? Uh, you know, again, those things, I used to have lots of those things and they've slowly come out. Yeah. Uh, there's, there aren't too many left. Uh, there was one, there's actually a new one that I picked up, which is that, uh, Big Picture movie, Gone with the Pope. Oh, now, did they come out on DVD? No, and it probably won't. Oh, no. Uh, it was his sequel to Massacre Mafia style, which I hadn't seen until recently, but I, I picked up, and that movie's amazing. Yeah, I still need to see that. It's ridiculous I haven't seen it. I've been meaning to see it for oh, years. Oh, man. It, okay, it, it probably has a bit of a reputation of being kind of a, a, a crummy, you know, almost so bad it's good, but uh, that movie is deeply, deeply sincere. It may be made by an amateur, uh, and indeed poorly in some cases, but he means it. He's literally trying, he's attempting a serious critique of mafia and Italian culture. He's trying to be Francis Ford Coppola. He's trying to be Coppola, and he really fucking means it. And now, just because he can't pull it off doesn't mean he hasn't made an interesting movie. No, I mean, I was going to say that sort of impassioned filmmaking is much more engaging than... A lot of the lazy shit we see now on a higher oh, budget. Sure, for sure. I can't stand that kind of thing, and and so I really, I really love movies like this that 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 may be garbage, but but have a, a level of ambition that 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 sort of surpasses any any technical problems in my life. with the Pope was his sequel to that, and I guess it it never got finished. And then Bob Morosky, who who was the editor on the Hurt Locker, that's right. Uh, like went and personally recut it and finished it, but I guess that uh, whatever the company that that has the rights to it, I think it's like Grindhouse for leasing or something like that, uh, has decided that uh, they have no financial interest in releasing it. They had a limited tour; it played around the around the country for a little while. I know it played in Austin. It played here in Seattle one night. I had to work, couldn't go, and apparently it's just never going to come out on video. Uh, I talked to my friend Tommy, who works down in Austin. He he works at uh, Vulcan Video, and he also puts together all the pre-show stuff for the Alamo down there. And he was saying that 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 uh, Grindhouse told them or told a colleague of his that they should have charged more money when it played there because they don't really consider it worth releasing anymore. 
Oh my god, that's terrible. So if you want to help me start a little grassroots uh, campaign to get that movie put out, because uh, it really uh, irritates me that I had to miss it at this point. <sighs> at the time, it didn't bother me. Now, I assumed, uh, you know, then I assumed I would get to see it at some point. Now it's not looking too good. Oh man, you know it's funny because I just got an email today from the guy who programs these Grindhouse double features at the New Beverly. And they're playing Massacre Mafia style and Gone with the Pope huh. in, a, in a couple weeks here in L.A. Damn it. So I may have to try and get my ass down there knowing now that it's never going to fucking see the light of day. Yeah, I think you should. I, maybe I can get my people down here to get play it again, but I don't I don't really know what the deal is. Maybe you can find out from him what's, what, involved? what's going on with that. Yeah, I can see. I really I need see. to see that movie. It's it's uh, it's re- it's an itch I can't scratch, which is the worst. Yeah, well, that's I, especially now when, like you say, so much is available that when you find that thing that you can't see, it just pisses you off, man. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, ridiculous. It's it's, it's, it's uh, you know a, a, a sort of a side issue to the convenience trap entitlement complex. <laughs> uh, you know, but it goes hand in hand with the with with the idea. That, you know, and there have been some articles written about this recently that I don't entirely agree with, but I understand the sentiment, which is that the sort of the thrill of the hunt is over. Uh, those days are gone. Yeah, I mean, I've I've sort of been in and out of this idea, and I I get it a little bit because obviously I participated in that, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade now for then. No, I, I, mean, I there's so much more good shit now. I can see. Was, I'm working on it all the time. Fun. It was fun while it lasted. I think I, I I feel bad admitting this, but I think I have to admit that part of that thrill was exclusivity, was being the guy who saw it instead of actually seeing it. Yeah. Um, and so, I'm, yeah, I'm glad that those days are gone to a degree. I mean, I certainly miss the fun that I had and, and the scarcity involved, but at the same time, I've had so much more fun actually finally getting to watch those movies. And I don't really care how I get to do that. No, I'm with you too. I think my only concern about it regards is in regards to the younger kids. Yeah. And, and that like they have access to, let's say, all the Paul and Pressburgers at one point are on Netflix Instant or whatever. And they've got so much coming at them all the time that that is just another blip on the radar. It's not anything significant because it's the access being so easy. That's true. I worry about that a little bit. There's really nothing you can do about that. That's true. So, uh, it's true. The there same isn't. thing happened with books and television and Absolutely. everything. You know. Uh, Absolutely. It, it, I tend to look at it like this: when when something that I really love that uh, has previously been sort of not well known or very popular, when that when that thing becomes popular. Uh, or when that thing becomes, let's say, not popular but easier to access. And and that that just means it's, it doesn't mean it's not fine anymore. True. Uh, the, just the fact that you know now that every kid can see every Powell and Pressburger movie, uh, them choosing not to, which I suppose many of them inevitably will. Well, that, but is it even a choice though? Because they just don't even know. It's not a matter of them saying, "Oh, I don't want to watch that." They just don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. Either no, way, you're totally right. It is still mine, and there's nothing. Nobody can take that away from you. It's not going to disappear. Uh, it's not, certainly not going to disappear for you. Yeah. And I guess on the upside, the social networking, all that stuff, does allow for people to be in the right frame of mind to discover things. And to, yeah. You know, so, so there's that. And I feel like people – there's people like yourself 
who are always talking about movies and that um, I feel like there's a lot of people like that that I social network with. And and if anybody any, – any person that's sort of halfway into movies would start to get in on those conversations, they would definitely be allowed or they would they would be in a position to discover a whole lot of shit if they were open to it. Exactly. So I don't know. You're right. It doesn't I – don't, I don't want to be too bitter about it because all I can control is I, my son and my son I'm super proud of him. He's 13 years old and we just watched um, – Jerry Lewis uh, and and Dean Martin's movie Partners last night, which is probably about the seventeenth or eighteenth Jerry Lewis movie he's seen because he loves Jerry. That's Lewis. awesome. Yeah, he absolutely loves Jerry Lewis, and you know he loves the Marx Brothers. So like, uh, I've sort of made a tradition with him to watch movies every Friday. You, I've talked to you about it on Twitter. Yeah. Um, and um, so that I can control, and I'm lucky enough that he's um, he's receptive to all kinds of stuff. Beyond that, you know. Uh, it's everybody else's kids is their own problem as far yeah. as I'm concerned. But, but, uh, I love that my son is at least into this stuff, you know, somebody has got to be, that's right. Got to continue <laughs> on, hopefully expose his friends, his kids, whoever else. Yeah. Um, they got to carry the torch. Anyway. Um, do you have a favorite, uh, Hollywood legend? I, I guess I do. The, my, my favorite Hollywood behind the scenes story is probably apocryphal though. It's, aren't most uh, of them, aren't most of them though. They might be. I, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not as well versed in these sorts of things as, as a lot of folks. Uh, but my favorite one is is a Michael Bay story, actually. Nice. Good. Actually, I have two. I'm cool. going to give you two. Sounds good. Because they're short. The first one is a Michael Bay story. Again, I, not, I do not know if this is true. Uh, but apparently, you remember the movie Phone Booth? Yep. Okay, Joel Schumacher directed that movie with Colin Farrell. That was kicking around Hollywood for a long time. They were trying to make that movie. Yeah. Uh, Larry Cohen wrote that script. That's right. And it was kicking around forever. It went through a bunch of directors. It met with all kinds of people. And I heard, uh, I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard that, they, that Michael Bay was attached to that movie for a while. And uh, if you don't know, the premise of a phone booth is that this guy gets into a phone booth to answer a phone call. And then he's told by the guy on the other phone that, that there's a sniper that's going to shoot him if he doesn't you know, do what he says. So Michael Bay gets hold of the script. And the first thing he says at the meeting is, how the hell would we get this movie out of the fucking phone booth? <laughs> Which I just think is a great story because obviously that's the whole reason to make the movie. <laughs> and he just immediately says, well, no, we can't do that. I just love him. I love him. I have a picture of him on my wall. Literally, I have a framed photo of Michael Bay with his shirt off. On, on my with his shirt off, that's great. Uh, yeah, it was given to me by a good friend of mine. That is uh, a good gift. It's a great gift. Uh, I love it. Yeah, he's wearing like a viewfinder around his neck. <laughs> That's awesome. He, he, he doesn't really have a shirt off. He has his shirt open. He's not. He's like got like a, you know a nice shirt, but it's like it's just open, and he's just posing and smiling. He's probably on the set of Bad Boys on the first one. He's really young. Uh, it's, a, it's a great picture. Dude, you got to take a picture of that picture and send it to me because I, I, I must have. I will it. do that. I actually have another photo of him that I found of him as a teenager leaning against <laughs> a car, and he looks like me. Holy shit. Yeah, I put it on, I put it as my Facebook profile page for a little while, and oh, my dad uh, goes, my dad texts me and he goes, "Where did you find that picture of you?" <laughs> <laughs> that's not me, that's Michael. Oh, that's Mann, great. Which then thought was Michael Mann. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, but even even uh, further to my dad confusing Michael Bay with Michael Mann, my other story is a Michael Mann story. Nice. Supposedly on the set of Last of the Mohicans. Uh, I'm pretty sure man, man may have still been doing a bit of cocaine at this time. <laughs> Not positive. 
according to the story, he was doing some coke. But uh, there's a story about how he just flew into a rage and threw a temper tantrum on set because uh, because they needed to reset a take that had these cows in it, like these oxen were pulling a cart. And they don't cow, cows don't walk backwards. They have to be led around in a circle. Oh, my God. And it was blowing his take and wasting his time, so he threw a fit. Oh, my God. I don't know. I, like again, I, I don't know if either of those stories are true, but I hope they're true. I think that I think they're both probably true. But, you know, uh, whatever. I like them both, though. Good stuff. Those are definitely my two favorites. Um, if you could have lunch with any actor or director not alive, who, who might you choose? Lee Van Cleef. Very nice. No question. He's my favorite actor. Not necessarily the best actor, but my favorite actor. That face. That voice. Yeah. Man, he's great. And I bet he's got a million stories. <sighs> a million stories. I can't imagine. Uh, I love I love that guy. I love seeing him. Every time I see him, I don't care what he's doing. I love him. One of my favorite things in the world, every time I watch Escape from New York, uh, which is a lot. I've seen that movie many, many times, <laughs> uh, is... Knowing that he was afraid of helicopters. Oh, that's right. And so you can see him flinching when he gets near the helicopter in that movie. <laughs> um, I, I love it. I love uh, it, this. Is, this sounds mean spirited, but it, it honestly, it, it, it's not. I love trying to guess how drunk he was by looking at the size of his tongue. <laughs> the man in his later films, you can see his tongue get progressively more and more swollen. Oh my gosh! From the booze, uh, and he was a heavy, heavy drinker. Is that uh, what killed him? Uh you know what? I'm sure it didn't help. Yeah, I'm sure he was an old man. He was not in very good health. Yeah, uh, you know he he had had a, his share of troubles during his life. Uh, I I'm very I'm very sad. I was very sad when he died. I was probably too no, too young to know how much I loved him at the time. Yeah. But man, uh, you know he's in a he's in for a few dollars more. Everybody loves the good, bad, and the ugly. I love a few for a few dollars more. That's my favorite western. That's my favorite Leone western. Yeah, I bar think none. I think it's better. I like it more. I think it's more of a straight up western, which is what I like about it. It's fucking great. The fucking hat shooting scene in that movie. The oh hat my god! Scene is amazing. The scene he's got with Klaus Kinski. You know, I usually just Absolutely. smoke smoke just after I'm eating. Why don't you come back in a few minutes? Uh, yeah, that's fucking great. great. It, I love him. Have you ever seen a movie called Day of Anger? Yes. He's yes. In that, that's he's a basically great one. Darth Vader in that movie. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, he's in that movie with Giuliano Gemma, who's another actor from that from Spaghetti Westerns that I really really like. Uh, he plays the lead guy Scott Mary in that movie. Uh, yeah, I love I love Van Cleef, and I bet he's got a million stories. I have this really nice photo on my hard drive of him and like Woody Strode and John Ford, everybody in uh, Man Who Shot Liberty Valance having lunch. Oh, nice! They're just sitting there looking at you know, like somebody's looking at the camera, smiling. I just you know, what I what I wouldn't give to have sat at that table. Yeah, I was just gonna say, oh my gosh, can you imagine? Oh, that's so funny. Coincidentally, he was in Partners, by the way. Um, Bankleaf? Yeah, he shows up for oh, a little bit. No. He's, got, he's got a couple lines, um, but I but I pointed him out to my son because my son has seen Escape from New York. He wouldn't remember Lee Van Cleef necessarily because he hasn't seen enough Lee Van Cleef. But I'm like, buddy, that's Lee Van Cleef. He's in a lot of movies. He's awesome, you know. And and then we just sort of moved on. But it was really neat to just see him for a second. He elevates any movie that he's in just by his presence, obviously. The face, I'm telling you. 
that that's unforgettable. That Absolutely. that shot or that shot in the good, the bad, and the ugly where you see the finger that he's got cut off. <laughs> but you really, you know, he really lost a finger. I did not know that. That's yeah, great. that's real. That's actually his hand. He lost a finger. How did you know how he lost it? Uh, I honestly, I I do know, but I can't think of it right now. No, that's cool. No worries. I'm gonna look that up. Um, do you have? We already covered Silva film. Do you have a favorite underrated Charles Bronson movie? Uh, Michael Winner's The Killer. I'm sorry, the, the Stone Killer. The Stone Killer by Michael Winner. God damn it! That's another one I haven't seen. I know that's on Crackle.com. You can great see movie. Yeah, I've been meaning to see that forever. It's ridiculous. I love Michael Winner. I do too. Death Wish uh, Three was a hugely formative movie for me as a kid. Death Wish Three is a really fun movie. Uh, I, I'm whenever I talk about Michael Winner, I'm very fond of paraphrasing Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright talks about Michael Winner. Uh, it may have been on his Hot Fuzz commentary, but he says that you can you can accuse a Michael Winner film of being poorly made. You can accuse a Michael Winner film of being in poor taste, but you can rarely accuse one of them of being boring. Yeah. Um, and the Stone Killer is really it's it's pre-Deadlish. Oh, that's right! Wow. Bronson just plays like he plays this New York cop who gets in trouble until he kills a kid, uh, uh, who deserved it, I might add. Had it coming. Charles Bronson gets in trouble anyway because of all the damn hippies. <laughs> and uh, he goes out to L.A., start over, and he comes you know, out there doing his thing, and he gets involved in a big case. There's a great scene where he's like interrogating all these hippies at a big happening. He's just walking around looking completely fucking incredulous at all these dancing hippies on pot. Uh, and a great... I'm going to give it away as I have to, because the best thing about this movie is the very, very end of the movie, where where Charles Bronson gets into his car, and his, his buddy's there with him, and he's like, his buddy is like, you know, uh, we really did a good job solving that case. And Bronson is basically saying, are you kidding me? The world is just going to hell. And he just sort of makes a list of all the things that he hates. And he, and he turns to the camera, and he goes, you've got five minutes, Christians. And then the movie ends. Holy shit. It's amazing. <laughs> that is awesome. I'm putting that on my Winter, watch list right now. Like Michael Winter, make sure you see Scream for Help. Oh, that's one that I have a, a copy of, and I've been meaning to... I watched the beginning of it. I know about it. It's Was it a TV movie? No. Not a TV movie. not. <laughs> okay. Apparently a little racier than TV, which is great. It's basically like the most diabolically sleazy Nancy Drew story ever filmed. What kind of story? Nancy Drew. Nancy Drew. <laughs> it's not literally a Nancy Drew story, but it's like it's about a little girl solving a mystery or a young girl solving a mystery, except it's just filthy. That's awesome. No, I'm gonna, that's another one I need. Solving her menstrual blood. Oh my. <laughs> okay. Well, no, I mean that's definitely one I've been wanting to see. Um, somebody did a list for me of their favorite horror films. I think it was Cinema de Meep. I don't know if you ever go to that blog. I um, do. He's great, and he I think he put the Scream for Help on his underrated horror list a few years back, and I, I sought it out, but I stupidly have not yet watched it, but I'm going to make not it. Not on DVD. Yeah, it's what I have is like a VHS um, copy of it, I think. Yeah. Uh, so that's great. No, those are really good picks. Um, do you have a favorite uh, made-for-TV movie? Uh, you know, made-for-TV movies were something that I ignored as a kid, Uh I'm much much chagrin now. I should not have done that. But at the time, I didn't think of them as being as good as real movies. Uh, so I missed a lot when I was young, and I've been catching up slowly. And I, I mean, I do think that some of the cachet of it is lost on me now. Like I just, I finally for the first time this year watched Don't Be Afraid of the Dark. And uh, you know, most people consider that to be sort of a legendary TV horror movie. I really like it. Um, oh, you didn't really like it? 
No, I didn't. I, I just sort of wasn't into it. Now, I'm generally not a horror movie fan in general. Oh, really? That's yeah, so, it's, it's interesting. Thing about me, I'm, I'm one of the rare movie nerds that's not a huge horror fan. That doesn't mean I don't like or watch horror movies. I do all the time. Uh, but I'm I'm much more finicky about them than, than most folks. That's cool. Um, so that yeah, so like you know that, that was. I'm, I only point that one out as being like kind of answer that a lot of people would give to that question. Like that's a, a well heralded TV movie. Absolutely, I think it's I think it's interesting and creepy in a small movie kind of way. But I totally could see anybody arguing against that. It's it's got a lot of um, dated silliness about it. You know, I just thought it was slabby. Yeah, I understand. That's me. Um, but uh, you know, I'm not going to take that away from anybody. So many people I know love that film, and I don't want to be the guy who's like, you're wrong. It sucks. Because that's not how I feel. It just isn't for me. Um, I do, however, have a great fondness for 1974's Killdozer. <laughs> that is a good one. Which is hard to find. Yeah. And really funny. Yeah. I'm not usually into the so bad it's good stuff. This one's kind of irresistible. I'm sure you've seen it. Demon yeah. space infects a bulldozer. Yep. Starts killing people. It's got yeah. this great scene in it where the uh, lead guy is, is you know, kind of dancing around what's going on. Like he won't really tell anybody what he thinks is up, that the bulldozer is evil. And one of his coworkers is like, you got to be sh- straight in here, man. You know, he goes, tell me what's going on. I'm not a piece of candy. Which doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but to which, the, to which the hero replies, you're a sour ball. <laughs> that is great. <laughs> I totally weird. forgot about that. I really like that one. It's stupid, but I enjoy it. Have you ever seen you know, that pop book adaptation of that? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that i got to find. I haven't actually seen it. I've only seen the cover, but there was a Killdozer comic. Oh, i got to find that. That's fucking cool. Um, have you seen one called Dying Room Only? I've seen the box. I would be very curious to hear what you think of it. I think it's based on um, Matheson, if I'm remembering right. Um, and it's like a um, very small movie with like Cloris Leachman. And I can't remember who plays her. I think Dabney Coleman plays her husband. Sweet. And the setup, I don't want to give away too much. The setup is basically they pull into a roadside diner and Ned Beatty is there in like kind of a reverse <laughs> deliverance role kind of thing. Um, and he goes into the bathroom and then doesn't come out. And then suddenly the guys in the diner are like, you didn't come in with anybody. And, <laughs> and it becomes this sort of mystery as to like what happened to to was he real was he not what happened he so, died in that diner 25 years ago tonight <laughs> that i mean that could be it but i'm very curious if you ever are feeling um TV well i'm putting movies. it on my list right now i keep a little list of stuff i'm gonna bring home so yeah it's not but our archive put it out it's a nice enough dvd um i'm a fan of that one um there's also one called um uh a cold night's death which i'm sure you guys have Mm-hmm. which is very reminiscent of and probably influential slightly on The Thing, Carpenter's The Thing. Okay. Because it's, it's um, Robert Culp and... I love uh, Robert Culp. Yeah, I, I figured the Hickey and Boggs thing. Robert Culp and Eli Wallach are two dudes in a an Antarctic research station, um, and shit starts getting weird. Um, and it's kind of undetermined as to what it is. Um, and it's a cool little... That's those are two of my favorites. Um, that so sounds good. If you if you if you have them, I'm sure you guys do. I, I mean, I'm sure you have a Cold Night's Death too. Um, I'd be very very curious to hear your thoughts if you ever. Can you remember? There was one that I watched a couple years ago, and I can't remember what it was called. And I feel like Shatner was in it. 
Okay. And it, and he wasn't the star, but it was about a guy who I can't remember who the lead actor was. He was a guy who like was the trainer for a famous movie dog, and then they get into a plane crash in the middle of the snowy mountains or something, and like the guy and the and the dog has to help the guy survive. Oh fuck! I haven't and seen this. Shat- Shatner is back home with the dude's girlfriend or something, trying to like, work some handles. Oh, dude, I gotta find that. I don't uh, know what that is. Well, that, I will be researching that as soon as we're done here because we're. I'm gonna figure that out. I, I, you know, it's not even something that we have. I, I found out about it and I watched it on YouTube. Oh, cool. Very cool. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna track it down. That's great. Um, that sounds awesome. Um, do you have an underrated favorite uh, disaster movie? I think I know what this is too, but I don't know if it's under- anyway underrated. Yeah. Well, one of my favorite—I mean, obviously, one of my favorite disaster movies is Armageddon, but I wouldn't call that underrated. Yeah. Uh, of, of the recent last fifteen or so years of stuff, most of most of that stuff's obviously pretty terrible. I do think Volcano's pretty underrated. Yes. Which I'm sure they expected me to bring up. Yeah. I do really like that movie. Um, I'm also a big fan of the core. Of the oh the core yeah I love the core I remember seeing that in the theater with some friends opening weekend and the theater was almost empty and at a certain point the audience in the theater surrendered itself over to just mystery <laughs> science theatering the movie uh, too bad. <laughs> it was like a communal thing so it wasn't like everybody was saying shut up everybody started making little jokes and it was fun and I don't I don't really particularly want that to happen again but it was the moment of everybody just being like oh this is ridiculous yeah was I'm- amazing. It is a very silly movie. I I, I really love how uh, how much it thinks science is so cool. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, there's giant fucking diamonds down there, man. Uh, it's just so ridiculous. I, I really love it. Um, yeah, any movie where Tucci's hair looks like that and somebody was like, yeah, oh, yeah that's a good idea. Yeah, it's really bad. And I really like. Uh, I don't know if this counts as a disaster movie. It's a little bit more of a post-apocalypse movie, I guess, but uh, it's called No Blade of Press. Oh, God damn it! Yeah, we were talking about this, and I still haven't fucking watched my copy of it. It's so good. No Blade of Grass. It's real dry, real British. Uh, it's about how there's no more plants grow. There's famine everywhere, and like this group of British survivors is trying to find a place to take shelter, and uh, you know, on, on its surface, it's actually pretty serious, but it's hard. Not to laugh because it's so dry and so British. There's a you know it's got stuff like uh, you know the leader of this band of survivors sort of saying, hey, "I'm sorry, those bikes raped you. It's a shame, old chap." <laughs> you know, it's it's literally got stuff like that in it. Oh my god! I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's sort of the sentiment involved. Like, try to soldier on with this Britain after all. You can't let these bikes raping us get in the way. <laughs> uh, it's pretty. Be amusing, and on its own, it's actually a really, really good movie. No, I've heard that about it. It definitely has a reputation. I'm glad I picked up the Warner Archive disc, and I make sure the disc you have is the fixed one because they put it out originally with two reels out of order. Fuck, and I still haven't checked mine, so I hope you I know because later. suddenly in a car, and then and then the scene will end, and then they're not, in, they're back, and then two people who are dead are alive again. Oh no! All right, I'm gonna have to check mine soon. Um, do you have something you rate as the worst movie of all time? Oh jeez! Uh, I think I would probably have to go to the Andy Milligan joint 
the rats are coming, the werewolves are here. Ah, that's that's featured on the cover of the Psychotronic movie guide, if I'm not mistaken. That may be where I first encountered it. I, I saw a video when I was in college at this little video store where I went to school. That was All their stuff was 50 cents a night. Nice. So you would just go in there, I'd go crazy. And that, that was one I picked up purely because of the title. I, I've never even heard of any million at that point. Uh, I still haven't seen much of his stuff. I need to delve oh, into that. Oh, you don't need to. They don't need to? Nah, it's almost all garbage. Uh, the best, if you want, if you want some Andy Milligan, you should read the biography of Andy Milligan. Oh, okay, uh, read his biography. All right, was fucked up. I forget who wrote it, but there's a really good biography of him out there. Cool. Uh, that's a terrible movie. That has like people killing rats with hammers and it's real. They they kill rats with what? Hammers. Oh, for real they kill rats. I'm pretty sure it's real. Yeah. Oh my. Yikes! All right, well, that's that's cool. That's that's not one I've heard uh, called out before. So uh, it's pretty awful. It's the only thing. It's, I mean, I've seen, I watch a lot of terrible stuff <laughs> uh, on purpose and sometimes by accident. But that's one of the few that I, that I watched and just thought I would never ever ever want to see something like that again. <laughs> well, that definitely is a uh, part of the criteria I think for this particular selection. That's good. Um, do you have a favorite uh, what the fuck movie? I was confused about this question. What's a what the fuck movie? Um, I mean, let's see. I'm trying to think of a good example. I mean, just a movie that <clears throat> you watch and you know, just it's just really perplexes you. Like, um, I mean, it'd be sort of like a cultish movie, like say The Forbidden Zone. Um, okay. Or you know, I mean, that's that's one. You know, I think like a movie like um, I don't know if you've ever seen Hello Down There. No, I have not. It's um, I mean, the premise is that it's. It's I, I think it's Janet Lee and Tony Randall um, are married, and he I can't remember if he works for a company that does something scientific, but basically they are selected as the family to test out this first underwater um, house, and <laughs> what? And so they're living in this underwater house, and they're they bring their kids along, and um, it features you know a dolphin that's a you know stops by every once in a while. And Richard Dreyfus as the boyfriend to I think the the daughter, and he's in a band, and there's lots of singing from them. Um, it's just like you, those movies, like oh, the Apple. The Apple's a great. Ooh, the Apple's a good one, yeah. You know what I mean? Just movies where you're just like, how the fuck did this get made? This is bizarre, kind of that sort of. It mostly has to do with you know bizarreness. You know, just straight like the the Visitor is another one that I think uh-huh. of. When I think of what the fuck because that movie is just totally strange. Um, Garbage Pail Kids could be what the fuck, and, <laughs> you know. So that's that's sort of. I mean, I don't know that it's a universal um, term. I got a good one for it. it's another Michael Winter one actually, and it just came out MOD, so it's findable. It's called Hannibal Brooks. Oh, I've been meaning to see that forever. It's a what the fuck, huh? Interesting. It's a huge what the fuck movie because once you find out what it's about, you think, well, I, I can't believe anybody made this movie. It's got elephants, uh, right? It's about an elephant. Yeah, Michael J. Pollard. Yeah, plays a guy who's like a soldier. Let's see if I'm telling this right. And then Oliver Reed in it too. I think Oliver Reed's like kind of the main guy. He's like anyway, they they're soldiers. They end up captured by the Nazis at a zoo, and the Nazis are still operating the zoo. So they and, they they basically make the zoo into a prison for them. Yeah, like they're they're sort of like labor camp slash zoo. Like you're gonna work here at the zoo. <laughs> okay, doesn't make any sense. And then they decide they're gonna pack up the animals and ship them off somewhere. I guess to kill them. I don't know. And and then they so the two guys decide they're gonna take care of this elephant. 
And they go, basically, like, they escape with the elephant and go across country on the run from the Nazis. So then it becomes like that Bill Murray movie. Like larger than Life yeah, la- <laughs> Larger than Life Meets the Dirty Dozen. Wow, that's a fucking pitch and a half. That's great. <laughs> uh, yes, Michael Winters from the late 60s. Uh, and the other weird thing about it is that Michael J. Pollard's in it. And if you know anything about Michael J. Pollard, you know that was not what you would conventionally refer to as a handsome man. No. Uh, Michael Winters insisted on being Robert Redford. Like, he, he basically posits him as being, like, the dashing leading man in this movie. Wow. Especially, which is weird, because Oliver Reed's in it, too. So, <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. I need to see this. That's so funny. I literally added it to my Amazon wish list today when I discovered that Up the Creek had come out MOD, and I got all these recommendations for other MOD stuff. That <laughs> And that for some reason, that came up on tangentially relating to something else, and I was like, I've heard of this. That's awesome that it's out. I need to – literally today, I added it to my – so uh, that's really cool that you bring that it's up. It's good. It's a bit of a set. Like, I'm not going to try to say it's good. but uh, Well, but it's Michael Winner, and I think we've already, you know, made it clear that people should watch basically everything he's in. Yeah, he really should. Uh, guy, the guy's great. He is great. Um, do you have a film that you love, maybe a lot of them, but um, that comes to mind, that, a film that you love that everyone else hates? Oh, that's easy. That's Armageddon. Armageddon is the one everybody uh, that, else hates? That's the movie I take the most shit for. Uh, <laughs> And I might offer that movie is completely unapologetic. It's not ironic at all. When I was little, I, I wanted to be an astronaut, like a lot of little kids. Uh, that is what I thought being an astronaut was like. Yeah. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, it's, uh, it's a bunch of asses going up in space and blowing a big fucking rock. What's not to like? <laughs> so do I don't you... care how silly it is. I'll admit that the uh, romance stuff is terrible. Well, I was going to say, do you, have you tried the animal cookie uh, thing with your courtships? No, no. That's maybe the most disturbing thing. That scene is ridiculous. That's awful. But I do like to quote that at people because it makes them uh, shiver. They hate <laughs> like going to the map that speaks about because he does this Australian accent while he's like putting the cracker in her underpants. Oh my god, it's so so funny. erotic. Uh, yeah, I love that movie though. I still I still think it's great. I I don't care how stupid people think it is. Uh, obviously, I'm a Michael Bay fan anyway, yeah. but uh, you wouldn't be able to stop me from liking that movie, even if I didn't like his other stuff. That's cool. Do yeah. you have the Criterion and the Blu-ray? Do you own both? I have both. I am. I've gotten rid of my Criterion. Uh, it was worth a little bit of money. I couldn't resist. Damn it! I didn't. I still have mine, and I I didn't uh, know it was worth anything. Uh, it's also non-anamorphic. Yeah, that that is one thing that bothers me about it. So I won't. I mostly keep it for the extras, which again, for the my retirement. on that are really good. Yeah, that's what I've uh, heard. The the especially the NASA com- the commentary, the scientists. Yeah. Because I mean, not only are they pretty ruthless in pointing out all the stuff in it that's ridiculous, they just tear it apart. They do, but they all don't do it in any way to suggest that they're not enjoying the movie. <laughs> Uh, they seem to really find it amusing, but they'll kind of go, yeah, that's that's ridiculous. At the same time, they point out stuff that's perfectly plausible that may appear ridiculous at first sight, like them launching two space shuttles at once. Stuff <laughs> like that. They're like, yeah, we could probably do that. We wouldn't, but we probably could. <laughs> that's awesome. That's good to know. Well, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, okay, last question for you is, do you have a favorite film reference book or film-related book that you recommend? Oh, boy. Uh when I was young, I must have read the Pauline Kael collection for keeps over and over and over again. Pauline Kael for keeps, that's the one? Yeah, that was a big compilation of hers. That's long out of print. Uh, and that doesn't really, uh, that makes it sound like I'm kind of a Kale, uh, a, a Kale 
I don't know what you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm more of an appreciator. I think she was amazing, but I don't necessarily agree with her most of the time. Yeah, I'm the same uh, way. But that's, I mean, you know, her reviews are great. That's just a great way to introduce anybody to what, what sort of possible when watching uh, any kind of movie. One of the things that I appreciated about Kale at the beginning uh, was, was that, you know, like that famous Great Trash article she wrote. Uh, just the idea that the movie didn't have to be classy for it to be good. Yeah. Uh, and that, that that a bad movie wasn't necessarily bad for the reasons that everyone says it's bad, or good for the reasons that everybody says it's good. Um, yeah. Just sort of, I like I like the idea of somebody having a different point of view, not necessarily one that I agreed with. Very cool. Uh, and I'm also a big fan, not a reference book, but of the the book The Devil's Candy. The, the movie, the book about the making of the bonfire of the vanities. Oh, Devil's Candy! I didn't know about this one. Oh, it's so good. I'll bet. Paul, a fan, you gotta read it. And I am, so I should. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. Uh, that movie it won't change your opinion of the movie. The movie is still not a success. Yeah. But uh, what a great great book. So it, it goes through all the travails, all the problems. Oh yeah, them. it's yeah. very detailed. I'm, cool. I you'll read it and you will not believe that they let that they let that book get written. Wow, yeah, that's that's my kind of book. I'll have to check. And it then out. you should also get the Scarecrow video guide. The Scarecrow video guide, absolutely. Yeah, we have a book. Is there? Uh, an, is there? What's the latest edition? How long? Oh, uh, it was only ever one edition made. It was made about two thousand four. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the very preliminary brainstorming stages of thinking of putting another book together. Now, would that have any repeats, or be a whole new book? I have no idea what it will be, or what it will look like, or even whether or not it will go beyond what I am telling you right this instant. No, that's cool. That's how cool. lazy I am. But I would like to do something else. I have a few reviews in there. Uh, that book was in the process of being almost finished when I started working with Scarecrow, so I was not able to contribute to it too much. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that's a book I would definitely recommend people get. Absolutely, it's very good. My review of the Doom Generation is in there. I fucking hate that movie. That's the worst movie, uh, second worst movie ever made. Yeah, I really fucking... Greg Araki is somebody who has a whole lot of problems. Like, I think The Mysterious Skin is the one that I like. I yeah, I mean, not the, if you don't like Iraqi, I don't know. But it's definitely not like those other, like the quote-unquote Iraqi movies that are just so filled with the smarm that I fucking hate. Yeah. Absolutely I absolutely hate. Can't get, I can't get past that stuff. I mean, I admire the guy. He's, he's again, but what's that? One day I'll try again. Not anytime soon. Yeah, no, I understand. I understand. But yeah, he. I have a lot of problems with, with his films. Um, anyway, sir, I I should probably let you go. Yes, but, I have uh, to leave this instant. Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com. You can call the gentleman at two zero six 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 five two zero seven, and you can email the gentleman at midnight cinema at gmail.com.